Hello and welcome to episode 125 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are entitling this week's episode, He Said Yes, because we have two wonderful guests joining us this week. It is going to be Taylor and Max from Pride Republic. You saw their beautiful proposal ceremony prior to the Pride match at the bank over the weekend. We are so excited to catch up with them in just a few minutes. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Sam Rowan from SB Nation's coverage and the third sub to get us all prepped for the Vancouver Whitecaps. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Back on Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, making a triumphant return is Christian Aparicio. And joining us as always, Christopher Sines. Happy to be back. Kick COVID's butt. Finally recovered. Oh, what was, like, super excited to have Christian back on and Chris Sines. Like, miss well, me. Because, I mean, you're, you're always here, brother. <laughs> like, everybody me. knows every episode of S2S, Chris is going to be here. But it, it's become an infrequent and rare opportunity in which we are graced with Senor Aparicio's glorious presence. I like the backhanded compliment. I appreciate it. It's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been, it's been a hectic couple of months health wise, but glad it's to be right. back. Well, hey, how dude. is more importantly, how is the family? How is baby X? And are you guys feeling well? And I'll, I'll put my tongue away from my cheek. Oh, no, of course. No, no, we're all good. We're back. Uh, we were able to be at the match this weekend and back in full force trying to live as close to normal of a life as possible with a little toddler. Well, it's a good time to be back, man. Some exciting news, probably some of the biggest news that we've had since finding out that the Conca Champions League was going to be back on during COVID times. Guys, we have a breaking news. Well, it's not breaking anymore, but it was breaking the day it came out, man. Gareth Bale, and nobody knew about that one. That was huge. huge. Nobody. Nobody. People always think that we have an inside track whenever the club is signing someone. My phone starts blowing up with messages from all kinds of random 3252s and people around the bank that are like, who's the new signing? Who's the new signing? John, you have to know it. No, we have no clue. We find out when all of you find out. I mean, maybe, maybe a hair before in certain circumstances, but in the case of Gareth Bale, we had no clue, nor did I ever ever think this was even remotely a possibility at this time but the cat is out of the bag why don't we just go ahead and dive right into it lafc announced the signing of welsh legend gareth bale and on the back of that it is a tam deal he is not even going to be occupying a designated player spot we're talking about someone who is a top 10 world elite football player of the last decade joining LAFC on a 12-month targeted allocation contract with a team option that we hear is a DP option that could extend him for another season or two. We acquired the discovery rights in exchange for $75,000 in general allocation money sent over to Inter Miami, who swooped on those allocation rights from DC United. But joining LAFC is going to be a five-time UEFA Champions League winner. A goal scorer in the 2014 and 18 Champions League final. Ah, two- we don't want to oh, talk about oh. that 18 we final. We do want to talk about that amazing uh, overhead bicycle kick versus who did they beat? Who did they beat? You'll never walk alone, my friend. Liverpool. You'll never walk- <laughs> in the words of LAFC co-president and general manager John Thorrington, Gareth is one of the most dynamic and exciting attacking players of a generation. 
Adding a player who brings the talent and experience at the highest levels that Gareth does is an incredible opportunity to continue to improve our club. Gareth is highly motivated to continue to win trophies, and we are elated that he has made the choice to join LAFC and lead us in our ultimate goal of winning championships. Guys, we're talking about somebody who's got over 100 appearances for Wales. He's scored double-digit goals for his country, has led them from the time he started with Wales, being ranked somewhere in the 110s, to now having been qualified for the World Cup in Qatar. He even came out and said that, I am extremely excited for this move to LAFC. This is the right place for me and my family and the right time in my career. And I cannot wait to get started working with the team and getting ready to win more trophies in Los Angeles. We know that big clubs, big clubs had been circling around Gareth Bale. He was rumored to be heading back to his hometown of Cardiff City, but nope, boys, he is coming to the black and gold. We're talking about five UEFA trophies, four FIFA World Cups, three European Super Cups, three La Liga championships, three Spanish Super Cups, one Copa del Rey title, one Golden Boot Award, one Premier League Player of the Year Award, six-time Welsh Footballer of the Year, 2008 English Football League Cup trophy, and a partridge in a pear tree, all going to be repping the black and gold. My goodness, my head is exploding. What I find most interesting about Gareth Bale is just his story and his rise to where he became in the conversation for best attacker for a period of time. He was in that conversation of top three, top five strikers in the world. And, you know, he started out as a wingback, you know? Oh boy was wearing number three for a jersey for Tottenham for a few years, you know, and then he shifted over to a striker. It's interesting. And, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what number he wears currently on the roster, right? 13 is the only number available, unless he wears some off-the-wall number in the 30s. You know, he could wear maybe wear a 33, you know, with a three times eleven. I don't know. But it's interesting. It's, I think Seafood would give up number eleven if he's but asked. he can't do it in the middle of the season. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, no MLS rules. You cannot change your number in the middle of a season. If he comes back on a DP contract, take that number. But he would not be eligible to take another player's number until the offseason. Well, I just learned something new. The other thing, you know, you mentioned when he was a wingback. I remember him making Mike on, which was a fantastic right back for Brazil at that point in time. Reconsider. And I'd probably say retired him a little early when he basically took the entire team, made him look like a fool when he was playing for Inter and he was at Tottenham, which, you know, opened up the eyes to Madrid when he made that transition over. Those are some of the first memories I had. You remember Modric was on that team too at Tottenham. It was just a crazy, crazy, crazy team that they had back then. So just to give our listeners who, you know, still might be scratching their head and under trying to understand some of the specifics of a targeted allocation money, it means that the player is not going to be making the threshold of $1.8 million. That anything above the $1.8 1.6, my friend. Sorry, I think it's 1.63. Mm, it's pre-inflation, I guess. Maybe the pounds to dollars conversion is off a little. You know Sorry. What? Maybe, you know what? I, I'm only going off of what I heard. But you know what? I think that you both said 1.6. Either way, there's a threshold. There's a dollar threshold, 1.6. And if it exceeds that, then that has to be a designated player. So for this year, he is going to be making less than 1.6, which is 
kind of astounding thinking of how much money I think he was on six hundred thousand dollars um a month six hundred thousand pounds a week uh-huh. which is three quarters of a million dollars a week was his salary last season which means in roughly 17 days he is going to make last season his entire salary for this season you know but he had he had come out and said that he was not making a move that was financially motivated and now we're talking got- about somebody who has generational wealth right his net worth is just under 150 million us dollars this guy his great great grandchildren don't have to worry about money and i i think that you know and and jonathan you know we'll get to it with your interview on bbc but it's he's looking for an opportunity to be in form for the world cup and he wasn't getting the minutes at real madrid and i think that this is an opportunity for him to to continue to to get those everyday minutes and it's also something there's other things that are coming to the mls that could aid his mission in, in trying to get wales past the group stage another thing i haven't heard a lot of people really talk about is the way mls is set up it's a playoff right so that's kind of a, if you get through the group stage of the world cup that's what it becomes that kind of pressure like that kind of type of game so going through that at the end of the season with LAFC it's an additional kind of preparation versus if he had gone to Cardiff I think it's over 40 matches in the championship what kind of toll that's going to take a lot of midweek games a lot of rough and tumble versus here being able to fine-tune yourself leading up to that that playoff into the World Cup I think it makes a lot of sense if you're really trying to prime yourself to have a really excellent World Cup. And the fact, too, that he's almost like surplus right now. You know, there are going to be opportunities where he's going to rest if he feels that rest is what he needs. You know, LAFC is riding high right now with a roster that doesn't have Kilini and that doesn't have Bale. So that gives him that opportunity to potentially sit back. And we're still hearing rumors that LAFC is potentially going to sign a DP in this summer window anyways. So there could still be another player that comes in that gives Bale an opportunity to not get overly fatigued when he says this was the right move for me I think there's a lot to unpack in that comment why was LAFC and the MLS the right move for him and I think Christian you hit the nail on the head the opportunity to play in a tournament pre-tournament to get that one and done knockout mentality under his belt is one key factor. There are a couple others to me, as I mentioned on the spot that I did for BBC, I think this is an opportunity for him to expose himself to us men's national team players. He's going to be playing right alongside Kellen Acosta starting midfielder for the us men's national team. We have games coming up against the likes of Walker Zimmerman and a number of other players that are going to be starting for the us men's national team, whether travel, These are things that World Cup players have to endure that he's not going to see if he's playing over in Great Britain or over in the UK. The temperature here in Los Angeles this week, it hit 107 degrees Fahrenheit here in Los Angeles. The temperature in which Qatar is expected to reach during the World Cup, ironically, 107 degrees Fahrenheit. So he's getting exposure to the climate. He's getting exposure to players and he's getting exposure to 
uh, inevitably LAFC are going to make the playoffs. I don't think we're ever going to consider the option of this team slipping from a lock on supporter shield to not making the playoffs. So he's going to get that opportunity to attempt to feel it out in what a tournament style like play. And if LAFC make it all the way to an MLS cup final, that cup final is going to take place on November 5th. The world cup starts on November 21st. And teams typically arrive there two weeks prior to the World Cup. So the timing of the MLS season perfectly ends right before he is due to be present in Qatar. There's so many things about why LAFC made perfect sense for Gareth Bale to come on over that I'm surprised so many of the major media outlets that seem bewildered by his choice to come to Los Angeles when there are so many facts that line up as to why this was the perfect move for Gareth. You know, you also see that there's a lot of people making comments about the quality of play in MLS versus a potential championships side. And I would like to believe that almost every single team in the MLS would be an equal counterpart to a championship side in England. The second division in England, there's no way that people are going to sit here. I mean, LAFC alone, when you look at the rankings of of quality of the, the team and the wins and things like that, they say that LAFC is a lower tiered top five league team. You know, one of the ones that's on the relegation battle. So if that's the quality of team that's coming in, I don't see LAFC as a weaker club than a championship side like Cardiff. And I don't understand why people are coming in and just thinking that MLS is so weak. I mean, you know, granted too, it's when you're playing in the championship side, you're going to be playing teams that were promoted from league one. And, you you know, there are going to be teams that were, I mean, Fulham was a team last season that was just totally running, running away in games. And, and that was a championship side that just got promoted to the premiership. So it's, it just doesn't make sense to me when people are trying to make this comparison between the championship and the MLS and saying that the MLS is such a lesser division. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so convinced that LAFC could storm into Craven cottage and take on Fulham and, and win that match. But you stack LAFC up against anyone in the bottom 10 of the championship. My money's on LAFC. This is a good team. I honestly think that MLS is probably on par with you know, teams six through 20 in the championship. Um, And the best of MLS, because these teams rarely ever get a chance to play each other outside of an exhibition. um, You know, we're we're probably not going to see a chance for MLS to prove itself against those teams anytime in the near future. But Don Garber, thank you for listening to the show. I would love to see you go ahead and start booking a, a little tournament between some of our MLS sides and we know you're trying to create this tournament between Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Why don't we go ahead and elevate that to the next step here in the near future? And let's go ahead and see MLS teams versus some of the best teams from Europe, be it England, be it Bundesliga, be it anywhere in the European leagues. I would love to see some more of that competition so that we can finally stifle this idea that MLS talent is not as good as European talent. I think you'd be better off to see the MLS play teams from South America just because of the the flights and things like that, as opposed to seeing the MLS take on teams that are in Europe. We're never going to stop this conversation that European football is better than American football until we get a chance to go over there and spank some of those teams and show them how we do it on the West side. That's all I'm saying. See, I just don't know why the conversation needs to be had. You know, I think that the MLS serves its purpose and it's its own individual league for a reason. And 
the top five leagues in Europe and all the other, you know, the other leagues that are also in Europe, though, they all have their own reasons for being there too, right? Nobody sits here and is going to give Gareth Bale a hard time if he goes to the uh, Eredivisie and goes and plays for Ajax or goes and plays for, you know, uh, um, PSV or any of those, right? Like there are lower quality leagues in Europe, but nobody, nobody disparages those leagues. I just, I don't understand why the conversation needs to be had at all. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's just from a European perspective, that's how they view MLS. Right. And since he's a European player coming over and so much of the press about this has been European press that that's simply the prism through which they view this move. We, however, in the black and gold community don't really care how Wales performs in the World Cup. In fact, we don't want them to win because Wales is in the same group as the United States. So what does this mean for LAFC? Why does signing Gareth Bale and helping him get ready for the World Cup benefit the black and gold? We already have a lot of strikers up top. We have a lot of talent there. And we're currently sitting first place in Supporter Shield. So what does Gareth Bale bring to LAFC that we need to be focused on in the black and gold community. Uh, Once again, I I would hearken back to the words of JT when he said his career speaks for itself. His ability speaks for itself. This is a person who's going to show up and score goals. That's his job. His job is to get that goal scoring boot ready for him to go to the world club. He he is a world-class player. And hopefully, even if he ends up only playing limited minutes for us as he gears up for this tournament, those limited minutes are going to be world-class minutes. And at 32 years of age, having him come in and finish out the final 30 minutes of a match a la an Adam, you know, a Diomande type player, I think you couldn't ask for more than Gareth Bale. And that $1.63, whatever it is, million dollars that LAFC are paying him, I guarantee you that is well-spent money just in exposure awareness of the brand and frankly kit and merch sales that are going to be happening all over the world is eyes are going to be on LAFC. That's my two cents on it, boys. But what do you think Gareth Bale brings to LAFC? I think you hit on all the points easily. So it's peanuts in terms of what you're going to get in return, just marketing wise, but in terms of him on the field, one of the hardest things to do is score. And we have, I think what, 14 different contributors so far. And that's without him on, on the pitch for us half an hour from him. He was doing that sometimes for Real Madrid, just coming in the last half hour when everyone's tired and he's putting on his boots and his speed, his technique, the ability to be able to score with his head, his left foot, obviously, but he can he can also score with his right and can dribble in any which way and make any backline crazy. So that is a luxury that I'm really happy our ownership is willing to invest. And the club, you know, the supporters, we have the credibility to be able to put this team on this platform to even have the conversation where representatives from a player like uh, Gareth Bale is even willing to approach us or willing to listen. I think the biggest impact is just the global recognition that's going to come, especially in the long run. If Gareth Bale does help LAFC lift the MLS trophy and eventually a Conca Champions League trophy, I think that it's going to just be on that global scale and that people are going to follow Gareth Bale and his career as he continues to progress. And let's face it, like if Wells plays well in the world cup, 
whether they make it past the group stage or not, he's a dynamic player. He is someone that people want to watch and he is divisive and, and you either love him or you hate him, right? And and people have their opinions about him. And he came to LAFC and I mean, already you see many people that are Welsh or they are Real Madrid fans and, and they had no interest ever watching MLS. Now they're saying, hey, look, I want to be an LAFC fan so that I can continue to watch Gareth Bale because they want to see him be successful. So that is just going to be one of those things that just continues to catapult LAFC into this global club. And it's just the beginning, right? And it, we're not going to be there. We're not going to be at a place where we're going to be this global club. But these are these are the stepping stones that are going to get us there. I completely agree. This is nothing but positive for LAFC and and anyone who's viewing this as a negative for LAFC is probably rooting for that team 20 miles down the road but there was some other big news this week gentlemen and speaking of glorious left feet the greatest left foot to ever don the black and gold and I will argue the greatest left foot in the history of major league soccer was potentially just a game away from walking out the door but no Carlos Vela, Carlitos, Charlie Candles himself has signed an 18-month extension with the black and gold. We can all finally take uh, that big sigh of relief. The black cloud of is Vela going, is Vela staying, is over. Carlos Vela has signed with the black and gold through the end of next season. In the press conference, he said, Los Angeles is very special to my family and I, and I am very excited to continue my work here at LAFC. I will continue to work hard to achieve our goal of obtaining the title. As much press as the additions of Chiellini and Bale have been, Carlos Vela is unquestionably more important to this team than either of those international superstars. And boys, what are your immediate reactions to Carlos Vela re-signing with LAFC for another 18 months? I'm glad we got it over the line. I know that there was a lot of questions from the press, but I had no doubt that we had the inside track to get this done. I, I don't think that it wasn't going to get done, but I feel like Chiellini and Bale only made it a little sweeter with those kind of conversations you know, happening. I don't know if he knew about Gareth Bale, but, you know, having the opportunity to play with Chiellini and Gareth Bale kind of lands. I I don't know the timeline exactly. I feel like Bella probably signed. June 5th, we're hearing is the date really? that Gareth Bale's camp reached out to LAFC. Okay. Um, I feel like the front office was probably having some of these whispers with Carlos Vela. Hey, we're trying to get this done. That means Will Kuntz knew about this when he was on the show, by the way, and he did not share that with us. So y'all can be bitter at Will for, for not spilling yeah. the beans, but don't we be bitter tried. at us. We didn't we have tried. the beans. We tried. We definitely tried to ask the questions, but he he had this coy kind of smirk that things were in the works, right? I feel the LAFC FO has been kind of acting that way since the start of the season. The fans were in an uproar that we didn't have that DP slot filled, that we had all this cap space and allocation money to spend. And, and the whole time they've been like chill chill we got this and if you want to know exactly how we feel about that go go check out drunk jt's tweets over <laughs> the course of the past month and i think we'll, we'll kind of get an inside look because the club the club knew they had big signings coming in and they've delivered they have absolutely delivered jt might be getting himself a statue out in front of the bank the way that he has put together the roster this season phenomenal i think that the narrative of the deal getting done between Carlos and the club, the narrative that it 
may not be going well or people are asking the questions in the in the post-game press conferences and Carlos Carlos is saying you know hey I want to be here but business is business and if it doesn't work out I'll be you know this is just part of what it is you know John Thornton was on an interview on Sirius XMFC today or maybe it was yesterday and he was making comments about the Carlos Vela deal. And, and he had said in the press conference that they were always close, that there was never any contentious arguments or disagreements. And that every time they had a meeting with Carlos and his group, that it was constantly getting closer and closer and better and better. And there was never any setbacks or anything like that. And we had been reassured that time and time again, that this is what the club wanted. And Carlos was vocal about this is what he wanted. And I wasn't so concerned in the fact that there was a deadline coming up. I mean, deals like this happen at deadlines all the time. That's the the way football works. You know, how many times do you see a deal come down in the last hour before a window closes? Like this is just kind of how business is done. Yeah, that's a phenomenal point, Chris. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Tom Bogert reported a month ago, this was a done deal. A lot of people, Taylor Twalman and a number of others have said it's in the final stages. Vela's going to sign it. It's going to happen. And we panicked a little bit because that's what we do as fans when we see our franchise player potentially walking out the door. It's it's a good talking point, but I don't think any of us ever doubted for a minute that this wasn't going to happen. But thankfully, it is now official. He will stay on the same designated player wages that he has been on since he came to LAFC and will be with us through the end of next season. And we can postpone this whole conversation of will he go or will he stay for another 18 months. Gentlemen, any final thoughts on Carlos Vela before we move on to a couple game recaps? All right, with that, we got a couple games to recap. So first and foremost, Pride Night, LAFC defeat the New York Red Bulls two to nothing. Chris, squirrel baby, you nailed it, two nothing. Hats off, dude. You predicted it. I think I had said I wanted to predict 2-0, but I said that the last time I did that, I ended up having to predict 2-0 for like six games in a row before I got it right. So I think I changed it to one zero, but the gut was there with the two zero, bro. You, I, I, I'm on record to say I wanted that two zero. Um, I think we knew what you meant, but you, you know, you, you second guess yourself. I was, I was a little scared. I was a little scared, bro. I didn't put my name on it. You know, I didn't say it with my chest. We got uh, a little bit of luck at the unfortunate for if you're a Red Bull fan, but their best attacking player and best defensive player ended up being diagnosed with COVID after they tested positive, they had to sit out the game. And at that point, it was complete advantage to LAFC as many of their players, unfortunately, could not make it from the hotel to the pitch. We hope that there is no further spreading from that incident and all of the remaining Red Bull players and LAFC players you know, continue to test negative over the course of the next couple of weeks. But that led for a fairly interesting starting 11 for Red Bull. LAFC also came out with some of their key players on the bench. I think we know by now exactly what Dolo was doing, and he was just limiting those minutes and adjusting the workload and brought those players in, which ended up being formidable. Just a few minutes after those substitutions came in, we saw the goals start pouring in at the bank. But I kind of want to reel it back to what was the highlight of the first half for me and for, for many people watching the game and experiencing it at the bank. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it was about 10, 15 minutes into the match that we became aware that a certain French international had graced Bank of California Stadium with his presence before he went on to kick field goals at SoFi Stadium. Dude, Kylian Mbappe was in the house. What'd you guys think of that? I mean, by surprise, one, but 
why should I? It's been so many stars, footballers, different actors and actresses. So the fact that he was here, I know he was here for the NBA draft earlier in the week, but I think he's just making his rounds. We do know that European players enjoy the United States because they don't get mobbed in the same way, even though there's high interest. So I was happy to see that he visited the bank. I haven't heard if he's going to visit the other stadium, but I feel like it's unlikely. Well, he was in New York. I looked at his social media to see if he had posted anything about being at LAFC. And there was one picture of him at LAFC, but uh, no, the following day he was in New York. So no, he didn't go and see any other football matches while he was here in Los Angeles. I would like to have known what his opinion was, whether he stayed for the whole match or if he left at halftime or whatever. Whatever. I would have been I would have been interested to see what he thought of the environment and the football and his overall general opinion. I think that that would have been kind of cool to see what a person on his global scale, what they think of what we have here in Los Angeles. Certainly a world-class player. And I hope someone mentioned to him that we do have a DP slot available, Mr. Mbappe, if you would like come over and, and grace the pitch with Monsieur's Bale and Chiellini and Vela. After he just signed a big, huge deal with PSG. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, Paris is nice. I'll give you that. But LA is pretty cool, too. You know, look, maybe maybe he's just scouting for down the road in his career, right? I mean, he's not going to be the greatest football player in the world forever. I mean, eventually he's going to, you know, you know, PSG contract's going to run out. And, you know, LA is pretty nice town, man. There was people on social media that were making comments on the photo of him at the match. And they were saying that he was scouting for places to send Neymar out on loan. <laughs> I, you know, look, I mean, Neymar, I wouldn't mind Neymar being uh, Bro, black that guy. Gold. No, I mean, Neymar is a world-class player, but that guy is too much, too much drama in a locker room for me. Ah, in Dolo, we trust. I, I think he would do a good job of managing that. Let's get back to the game. Second half, uh, the subs come in and the goals start pouring in. We have Chicho who finds an amazing goal. I mean, both goals worldies i loved the way both of them played out raito's dummy the way he sees the player playing him and not the ball and just moves out of the way of both and then is clear on goal for the assist to palacios who gets his first goal of the season as christian intimated i believe he's now what the 59th different player to score for us how, how many is it again my friend i think it's around 14 at this point in time yeah so what I liked about the play, too, is very mature. I think Raito, a season or two ago, would have put his head down and tried to take both on. Instead, he, you know, slowed down, picked his head up, uh, kind of faked the first one, allowed the second defender to come and kind of had this chip pass. And then the finish. Palacios finished it like a striker. He, he took that fake shot, let the defender slide and get across and then put it in the, the side netting. It, it was just a very mature kind of play for both players, to be honest with you. I feel like a year ago or two years ago, we don't we don't get that. The progression with the previous manager, I think the finishing is, is getting better. And obviously our defenders on the wings are, are getting better with Dolo's experience and insight as well. Yeah, for Palacios, this has hands down been his best season for LAFC. You would be silly not to point directly at Dolo as being one of the major factors behind that. I thought the Chicho goal was sensational as well, too. He is now the second leading scorer in all of MLS since he arrived in limited minutes for us this season. He's still up there amongst our best goal scorers and just a couple goals away from being back in that golden boot running despite having limited minutes. And uh, I think uh, Chicho was kind of a little bit of Gareth who in that moment, you know, I, I think a lot of these players are seeing these signings come in and worried where their minutes are going to be. And there's a lot of talk about what our front three are going to look like once Gareth Bale arrives. And 
Chicho has to be involved in it. His prolific scoring talent that we have seen, I believe this is three goals in his last three games. Once again, he needs to be out there. He's proven it week in and week out that he can find the back of the net and he's only getting better at it. And I'm ecstatic with what we've seen from him so far this season. But uh, once Bale arrives at the team, is Chicho still in your starting 11 boys? He's not. I'm sorry. He's not starting every game now, right? Like that's the the abundance of riches we have. It was getting minutes though. I feel like the load management is going to be real. I think there's going to be a lot of different variations of our front three. Honestly. So question is if the playoffs started today, and it was no longer about the season grind. It was no longer about managing minutes. It was win or go home. Is he in your starting 11? No. Wow. So you got to look at this, right? There are all of these players that have positions that they primarily excel in, right? Brian Rodriguez is on a wing. Carlos is on a wing. Chicho is a striker, a number nine. Right. Bale, from what I've seen, is primarily a wing player, you know, but he can play in as that central striker. But, you know, it's where is this going to fit for everybody? Because if we bring in somebody like Bale, he's going to have to have a role in a front three. And is that role going to be fluid based on what front three we have? If Carlos is there and Chicho Arango is there and Bale is there, does that mean that Brian Rodriguez is on the bench? Are we really going to have a designated player sit on the bench? I don't know. No, we need him. We need him. We need him to stretch the field because Gareth Bale and Bella are not running in the same way that a 23-year-old, 22-year-old is. And I thought that having somebody like, so Brian excels when he is, the third best striker, right? Like that's, if you watch Brian, when he plays for Uruguay, he does well because he's not Luis Suarez and he's not Nunez. He's not the second or first best striker on that pitch for Uruguay. And that's how he's able to get his lanes and his looks. So that's what we need Brian to be is Brian to be that third one that's still dynamic and still lethal and still causes havoc. So I don't think Brian goes on the bench. I think that Brian is there, like you said, Christian, to stretch the field, you know, and I think that Chicho Rongo comes in as like a super sub, almost like a deal Monday was a couple seasons ago where he comes in 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 the last 30 to 45 minutes and he's got the fresh legs and he's got the big body and the big power and he's able to get those goals to to help seal wins at the end of matches and for those exact same reasons i think gareth bale is the person who comes in as the second half sub Uh, and to me you're starting chicho raito vela up top and then whichever is having the off night is going to be subbed out for bale probably not vela he would probably be subbed out for someone different who can play more of that distributor role I also think there's something to be said for the potential of Vela moving back to a false nine and not even being one of the three strikers out there that you could see a combination of Vale, Chicho and Raito up top with Vela working as that 10 false nine, you know, helping facilitate. I think all of those are options that uh, Dolo's probably going to experiment with over the course of uh, the next uh, few games as, as we figure out exactly how these players fit together. I'm sure the technical staff has something in mind. You can literally game plan for any, any opponent with the amount of strikers and options we have, to be honest with you. So I'm not, I'm not too worried. I think it's going to be a managing of egos and minutes. And I think we, we have a good group a good core group already in the locker room. So I'm not necessarily worried. I'm more worried about health and then being able to be agreeable with what your role is for that particular game. We shouldn't be closed to the idea 
that one of these guys may not be here either. One of these, one, Chicho Arango, Brian Rodriguez, they may not be here by the end of this summer transfer window either. Because we now have this excess of strikers, if somebody comes calling and saying, hey, we'd like to have Brian Rodriguez and the price is right, LAFC just might take it and open up another designated player spot. And they should right now, given the roster flexibility and the wealth of talent that we have up top at the moment. I think even if someone comes asking for a Cal Jennings, a Danny Trejo, a Danny Mazowski, an Ismail Tujuri Shradi, and not even necessarily just you know, Chicho or Raito. I think it, it could be any of those players that goes. And frankly, we now have a lot of forwards and I know injuries and minutes, but it does seem likely that one of these players is on the way out. And if I'm another club looking in at LAFC, I mean, I might, if I'm an MLS team, appreciate the value of a Muzowski, a Trejo, a Cal Jennings. But if I'm a big club overseas or a medium tier club overseas, and I'm looking at this LAFC roster, Raito and Chicha look pretty, I mean, I, I would take Chicho. I mean, if I'm a club anywhere in the world right now, I think he could do great in a number of places. And I uh, wouldn't be surprised if there are people knocking on the door. And Chris, I think you're absolutely right. We may not see all of these options as part of LAFC in the next six to eight weeks. You know, another player that we haven't talked about too is Apoku, right? He's another one that you throw into this group of strikers that has been extremely beneficial to having on the pitch. So, I mean, that's just, again, just throws another wrench into the, into the system. Yeah, completely. I don't know how I forgot Quadwo and all of this as well too. But we got another game to recap, so let's go ahead and move on to that. LAFC take down. FC Dallas three to one at the bank in what was an absolutely glorious day for all of us in the black and gold. It started out with us meeting at the bank a little early and I got to represent Dean on you in the podcast to take part in Giorgio Chiellini's press conference. We got a chance to meet him after the press conference and take a quick photo, which was an astounding moment. I, I reached out to shake his hand and I got a big hug from him. And one of those moments that's going to live forever is one of my greatest football memories off the pitch. It was a really cool press conference. He had a lot of great sound bites that came out of it as well, too. It was a really fun experience. I'm sure everyone got a chance to catch the live. Gentlemen, did you get a chance to watch the press conference as it was happening? I actually did. And he took most of the questions in English and he, he did pretty well. And uh, I appreciated him doing that. He looked very excited, like a young player having the opportunity to have, you know, grand introduction, uh, having press conference with people from around the world asking questions. And it was interesting. And uh, I heard you all giving him a warm welcome after too. So I'm glad he got the kind of reception and we'll talk about what happened after the game too for him. Overall, I thought it went well and I was happy that you were able to represent us there and represent the 32 to 29 U. I unfortunately was not able to catch the live press conference, but I saw a lot of the highlights and snippets from social media and things like that. I got one question though. How much taller is he than you? You know, like that hug, right? Like was his head at, or was his chin at the top of your head? Like how tall is this man? I think I'm taller than he is by a little bit. He looks super tall because he's like incredibly thin and athletic, right? And I mean, he is tall for a normal person, but I think I got a couple inches on him. I got a couple inches on him. Oh, wow. Okay. You could see in that picture of him with the 3252, I'm standing right behind him holding the 3252 scarf up above his head. And, and if you look at uh, LAFC's tweet, 
And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little taller. I'm a little taller. Super nice guy. Really impressed with his ability to speak in Italian, English, Spanish. I mean, whatever was thrown at him, he was responding. Some really cool quotes, right? Strikers sell tickets, defenders win championships. That got a laugh out of the whole room. And it was a really funny moment when someone asked a question about the wealth of defensive prowess that LAFC already has. And he jokingly looked over at JT and said, yeah, you know, this Mamadou Fall guy, he's, he's incredible. And, you know, when my phone rang for LAFC, he's like, do you guys even need me? Um, which, which got a good laugh out of the room as well, too. And yeah. he was very open that he's not here to change anything. He's not here to make the club do anything different. He's just here to go out and perform and do his thing and help young players grow and learn the game from his experience. And, and he repeated those two things over and over that he's just going to go out and do his job and show other people the little things that he's learned along the way. And that's exactly what we need Kelini to do when he arrives. And it was an ecstatic room with a lot of people in there that were just overjoyed to see him and so much press from around the world and different you know, people from the Italian consulate that were there and local tourism board. And you can exactly see the impact that he is going to have on this team and this franchise right away. Ecstatic to see him. And he got a roaring ovation at the bank when he came out and kind of walked out on the pitch before the game and got shown on the TV a couple times there inside the bank. And people were just overjoyed to see him. But uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the game itself, boys? Uh, KG first half, both sides end up finding the back of the net was a set piece for Dallas and just a beautiful shot that ended up equalizing there. And then, of course, in true LAFC fashion, the second half subs come in, the floodgates open, and it was pretty much one-way traffic throughout the course of that second half. And look, this is a very, very good Dallas team sitting fourth in the table at the start of this match. And we steamrolled them at the bank to a 3-1 victory. I thought it was impressive, especially with Kalini in the house and so much press and eyes on LAFC to go out and have the kind of performance they did. And some golazos as well, too. My goodness, Quadwo, Mahalo, Opoku. What a strike to put the cherry on top of that game. It was really, really a great night. But obviously, I, I had somewhat of a limited view of it being in the North End. And uh, as you can hear by my voice, still nursing it a little there. What were your guys' impressions in watching the game? LAFC were superior. Obviously, I agree with you. Second half, we steamrolled them. But things that not on the score sheet, um, unless you watch the match, can be overlooked as Vela missed three big chances, which is unlikely to happen in most games. And he did have an assist. So he's he was still prominent. I think him and Chicho took turns in playing kind of that false nine role or number 10 role at times to kind of absorb some of the defensive pressure from Dallas in order to break the others through. But I think what's most impressive to me is Muzovsky, Chicho, and Opoku all scored, all non-Bella, all going to feel the pressure of the incoming signings and making a case for themselves to be able to still have minutes and be featured and lean on them to be able to get these results throughout the season. It's going to be necessary with having midweek games and leading up to a World Cup and load management for different players that are most likely going to be called up to the World Cup. And also we want them to be fresh and trending in the right direction as we approach November's playoffs. So I thought Dole has a wealth of riches, but he's found a way to have a good atmosphere in, in the locker room. And he's pushing the right buttons in terms of getting results. And it seems like everyone's happy. We're obviously winning, but uh, getting minutes in the right way at the right time in the right matches has been good. Yeah, I... Uh... I want to highlight, though, that weighted pass that Sifu had given to Musovsky to open up the scoring for the game. I mean, that through ball was, uh, 
the touch on that. It was it was amazing. And for Danny Musovsky to receive it and control it and then go on to score a goal, like it was a perfectly handled situation. And it's great to see, right? You see those types of passes. And you, when you see that kind of pass go to a player like Carlos Vela or Brian Rodriguez, you would expect that uh, players of that stature with that sort of skill set would be able to control the ball. But to see a player like Mosowski, who, you know, is not as global of a player as not as an international of a player as those to have those same set of skills. It's, it's very impressive. And it's, it's something to look forward to future opportunities. Yeah. I so, think maybe uh quadro Mahalo Poku and Danny Mazowski are probably worried about the arrival of Gareth Bale and what that might mean to their minutes. And both of them came out with something to prove today. And I thought they both performed particularly well. I mean, Opoku is the super sub coming in. You know, Danny is the starter with uh, Raito out injured for the game. I thought, you know, obviously scoring the goal, but he had some great movement as well, too. I thought Dola was very tactical and very smart with his subs. I thought Hollingshead was really starting to lose it. He had given up a few bad passes there right before that 70th minute when Escobar came in and subbed him off. And I thought that was a really smart move from Dolo. I think you could see that Hollingshead was kind of losing some of his steam. I thought that was a good sub there. And Mazowski as well, too. You could tell, I mean, he had been going on so many route one, just dash down the fields that he looked absolutely gassed as well, too. And some really, really smart substitutions there from, from coaching staff and, and all around a, a great win at the bank. And uh, Kalini came out doing shalalas and fist bumps at the end of the game. I mean, what's not to love? Poor guy got his Italian suit all wet. I hope he brought change to the to the locker room with himself. It was quite the incorporation so quickly. Everyone looked so excited, at least on TV. We, I didn't get a chance to go to the match. They all looked like kids so excited to, to have this new player join them. So I was happy about that. I want to touch on a couple things. Sifu had a man, fantastic game. That was not the only pass that he had that put players in positions to potentially score. And you're right. The weight was perfect. And also, was obviously scored it with his left foot first touch. And because of the way the pass had the, the right angle and um, the opportunity to do that, but also overlooked on that same play, Chicho and Vela keeping their own lanes to make sure that the defenders didn't crowd Mozovsky. So tactically, uh, in terms of executing that kind of um, counter attack was great. And Mozovsky started off that play too. But the first touch to Sifu and Sifu carried it in the right manner. And then Vela's pass, also very well-weighted pass for Chicho to be able to score that. And I think he also scored with his left too, which, you know, and and also Opoku. So all left-footed shots today and Opoku's shot was just a rocket with the right swerve away from the keeper top bins. The wealth of riches that we have in terms of offense and Vela not being able to score today um, with three chances that I think he puts away most games. It could have been a route. It could have been five, six goals. And, and Dallas could have scored maybe another but I think one goal is fair and I think that was a little bit of a fluke that's the only takeaway for me that's maybe on the negative is Max Cropot needs to get a little bit more focused because I think on that play yes it was a good set piece fake cross but he needs to be able to kind of hold his line and expect the unexpected and I think he he's learning from these things and I'm glad these are happening mid-season versus approaching the playoffs yeah on the broadcast they had made mention about cheating up a little bit and uh, that ended up just being just enough for where that that uh, the shot was just over his head and out of reach but yeah I, I'm happy about that too Christian you brought up the point about working through these speed bumps as they could be looked at working them out in the regular season so that by the time the MLS playoffs come about 
we're not having these similar mistakes. Yeah, set piece goals can lose you a championship for sure. You know, in a game that's going to be much tighter, much more compact as we get into the postseason, it's it's good to exercise these demons now. Chicho, four goals in four games now. I mean, he's right there in the running for Golden Boot once again, despite being out with injury for a little while. He's really staking a claim for himself that he needs to be out there. I know we've already talked on this show, Christian, about how you feel that Raito gets the start over Chicho. But uh, look, once again, uh, you know, he stepped up in a way that, uh, you know, I don't think Raito has ever had four goals in four games. And I think this is now the second time uh, in which Arango has done it. And uh, just looks uh, to my perspective, like, look, you find the back of the net, you're going to find your way onto the team sheet. It, it just seems like, you know, I mean, if he keeps going a goal a game, there's going to be no way you can't start him. Of course, no, he's a hot hand, but he's also scored off the bench, right? So I think Dolo's just approaching it in the right way, choosing the right starting lineups and subs. But of course, he's going to play. He has to play because he, he's been executing and he's been holding up the ball. So he is going to be hopefully part of this team moving forward we don't know what's going to happen with the dp and what what needs to happen with the rest of the roster but the team is good as is if we don't get that dp yeah i mean you look at right now the goal scoring leaders uh throughout the mls and jesus ferreira is right now on top with with 10 goals and chicho rongo and carlos vela are are sitting tied at six with looks like a dozen a dozen or two dozen other people right now so it's you know i personally rather than having one player score all of our goals. I personally like the distribution and seeing multiple players being, you know, at six, as opposed to seeing one player at 10. Yeah. I think we'd all rather have a dozen different goal scorers than one goal scorer that gets a dozen goals. It's so much harder to line up against an LAFC team when you have no idea where the shot's coming from. When we have a bench as deep as we do, that can constantly rotate in players that can be a, a difference maker. I mean, just, just all in all, an absolutely glorious night at the bank. Wonderful experience from start to finish. You know, hats off to the front office for once again putting together a great show with the presser and an electric, electric performance by LAFC out there on the pitch. Gentlemen, before we head into the interview segment of today's episode, did you have any final thoughts on the win versus Dallas? Yeah, actually. So just fun, fun and interesting stat. Do you guys know who is third? There's two players tied for third with goals. Hollingshead? Yes. Uh, Ryan Hollingshead. Mamadou Fall? No. Apoku. boy Quadwo. Yep. So right now, LAFC has Arango and Vela with six. Hollingshead and Apoku with four. Sifu with three. That's where we're at. Love it. Love to see it. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Taylor Gray, today's guest on the other side. This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Folks, joining us as our guest this week is none other than Taylor Gray from Pride Republic. You may not know him as TaterTot914 on Instagram, but do give him a follow. But you probably definitely know him as the one who got to stand there on the pitch at Bank of California Stadium with his now fiance Max, with a beautiful kit held up between him with the words, he said yes. 
And so first and foremost, welcome to the show and congratulations on the proposal and upcoming nuptials from all of us at S2S. What a glorious thing. Thank you and welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. This is totally awesome and I'm so excited. Not as excited as I was that day, but still pretty excited. And a little parrot over your shoulder here in the Zoom videos, which the audience of course can't see, leads me to believe that you are not alone in this podcast platform. You want to go ahead and introduce that person there? Right here with me, I have my fiance, Max. Hi. <laughs> that feels good to say, doesn't it? It feels really good yeah well again congratulations thank you so much for being our guest this week we are going to dive all into that glorious day last weekend but first and foremost my friend we would like to reel it all the way back and we'd like to know when you fell in love with the beautiful game and when it entered your life the game entered my life when i was about five years old i started playing then in just a u5 league And from then on, just grew into it. I'm lucky enough to have a father from Scotland. So a lot of my summers were spent over there. And I got to go to the youth camps and hang out with some of the players from just one of the local Edinburgh teams, Spartans FC. Hearts games are right there in the middle of it. So get to pay attention to those and follow my dad around to some pubs and see some games. And then after that, it was AYSO. And then I went into club soccer plus all of that stuff. I played for a little bit when I went to school in Utah in high school. And after that, it kind of just fizzled out. But I have been an avid fan from day one for just the sport itself. That's awesome. I wouldn't give to grow up or at least have instances of being in, in Scotland and watching the avid and rabid fans that there are in the Scottish Premier League. The Scottish League in general. It was definitely something else. You can walk down the streets there just when there's World Cup games or even English Premier League games, which, you know, I try to ignore as much as I can, but they're there and the fans are all over the streets in Edinburgh just turn into fun. One of the Murrayfield Stadium is right next to my grandma's flat. So you can hear the fans go crazy whenever there's a game going. And then you get to hear them all pour out absolutely drunk after and it's just a lot of fun. So funny. So you kept it going. You said here in your childhood in, in the States. And did you continue supporting your Scottish team, the Hearts, or did you find a, a team here that you wanted to support? I have always been a fan of the Hearts. Uh, they may not do very well, but they will always have a spot in my heart over here. And I'm going to have to admit this one to all of your listeners. I was a Carson fan. That was who I went and saw. I went to Galaxy Camp as a young kid. We got to do all of that stuff. Thankfully, Chivas did come around and we ended up being season ticket holders for that, which took some of the pressure off coming over to LAFC. But still, that was the team I grew up watching. We would go to every game, everything like that. Thank you, Dad. So it it was definitely one of those things, though, where, you know, uh, being a, a young child going to those sporting events and the galaxy were one of the few teams that were here in Los Angeles. Don't hold yourself. There's so many fans that are, have been sharing that same storyline, but you know, you, you talk about, you know, growing up and, and playing soccer. So what were, what were some of the things about it? What, what positions did you play? What were some of your, your best things that brought you to playing soccer and why was it so important to you? So um, growing up, I actually am a trans male. So growing up, I was playing girls soccer. One of the draws was actually playing in Scotland and I'm a goalie. That has always been my position. I love it. The pressure, being able to yell at your team, 
have your eyes on the entire pitch. It's just, it's a really fun position. But over there, there was me and that was it as the female in, in the goalie section. There was five girls in the entire camp of about 90 guys. So having that and coming over from the United States and learning so much over there and being able to bring it back. I will say there was some special attention because there were so little girls there that the coaches really did focus on us. So it did give me a little advantage and skill set to come back. And then my dad was also my coach over here. So that really was a big selling point for me. I got to hang out with my dad. He was obviously at every game. It was one of the few things that we were able to do because he's also back in Scotland so often with his mom. Soccer was our thing. So transitioning from a place where you did not feel comfortable, did not celebrate the beautiful game in Carson to transitioning to Chivas USA and then LAFC seems to be a theme that you've already touched on that I would kind of like to hear a little bit more about because everybody has a story of growth and development and and yours is a very unique and special one. And if you wouldn't mind for our listeners today, why don't you take them through a little bit about how you discovered that the identity you had was not the identity you wanted to be and what that was like to go through now that you're on the other side of it. So for that one, I knew at a very, very young age, I'd probably say four, The signs for me were there. There are just certain things that I did. And obviously at four, you don't have the words for it, but you start to act out in certain ways. My parents would try to put me in a dress and oh boy, the fights that were pursued with that one. There was screaming. I'm pretty sure one time I I was going to say accidentally, there was not an accident about it. I was six and scratched my dad. Just not happening. Every time they wanted to put my hair back in a ponytail. No, no, no. But growing up in Orange County and everything like that, it's also not a place where you're exposed to, you know, the LGBT community that often, especially I'm 28. So 90s, early 2000s, it really was not talked about. I knew lesbian and gay was a thing. Transgender had no clue. So I went through a lot of stuff. I spent a few years in Utah in treatment centers for self-harm, suicide attempts, stuff like that. You know, I was, depression was kicking my butt. And that was through high school. And they also, conversion therapy is a thing over there. So I was exposed to that. And that kind of put me off wanting to say anything even more. But at that point, I knew I was a guy. But I I couldn't go, hey, mom, dad, I'm a dude. Just wouldn't have worked that way. So from about 13 to 18, I put my head down, went through the treatment centers, came back, went to the Christian high school, graduated. And then I got out and moved to San Diego and still made the mistake of coming out as something else. I came out as a lesbian and that did not feel right. I uh, moved home for a little bit and came out there and it wasn't exactly the easiest thing for my parents to take. So I was living in Lancaster after that and waited about a year and got to start hormone therapy and being able to do that saved my life. I had no idea that any of this could be possible. If I did, I think I would have 
had a much different life, although I'm not sure I would change it. I learned a lot. I hopefully have been able to help a lot of people with it. I'm not sure about that one, but I hope so. Uh, yeah. Your story is one that you have chosen to take publicly throughout the course of your transition is something that the LAFC community has been able to follow via social media. And that, that's got to be a very difficult thing to go through something so personal, so emotional, and yet do it so publicly. But to say that you've done it in hopes that other people will not have suffered what you suffered along the way, that's a huge, huge amount of courage it took to do something like that. And hats off, because that's incredibly difficult. Do you remember a time when you said, you know what, I want to share this with the world because of what I've been through? And have people reached out to you? Has it had the kind of impact that you had hoped? I think one of the big reasons I'm as public as I am is because it took me seeing another trans guy on and date this one Tumblr back in the day <laughs> and seeing that public watching his transition made me go oh my gosh that's a thing I can do and when I came out it was seven years ago it's still it was becoming more known and it's still it's just still wasn't out there yet and so I kind of went if I'm going to do this, I might as well do this. There was a little bit of a situation where I was kind of outed by someone and that I wanted to take the power back as well. So I just went, I'm going to do it. And I actually have had people reach out to me thanking me. And it's weird to me. It's weird to me. That's for sure. But it does feel good to know that maybe one person won't have to go through half this stuff one day you know you never know who your story is going to affect and having the courage to have a conversation about your personal life and and opening that door to letting people know the life experiences that you've had you know it I've talked about like sobriety right like I'm I'm two and a half years sober and so like I'll talk to people in the tailgates that I know that have also you know maybe had the thoughts of of not drinking anymore and and it's those personal conversations that you know you have that people will come up to me and talk to me about that and they may never have done it if I hadn't mentioned it at some point or another in a casual conversation so i mean this is this very much is going to reach somebody at some point i promise you that they're gonna say hey you know taylor was on the show and they're gonna feel comfortable coming up and talking to you you know i personally had no idea that you were a person who was trans right i didn't know that that was part of your story and so i'm sure there's other people that when they saw the proposal at the match over the weekend they might have just made the connection that it, it was two men and that's so this totally opens up doors and totally opens up the opportunity for you to connect with other people it's amazing I think um something that makes this even cooler about being as public as I am now with this is and he's very open about this too so I he may have walked away as I'm about to hype him up but <laughs> he's trans as well we're both two trans gay guys and we met a few weeks before we both had top surgery. We didn't get to meet in person, but we had top surgery five days apart from each other. And it was just one of those things where I would not be here without him. And I have so much respect for him for kind of getting thrown into LAFC and Pride Republic. Being as out as he is now, he was out before, but the fact that he is 
as open as he is now. And he's definitely, if I'm doing it and helping people, he's doing it as well. It's one of the things I love and admire the most about him. That's fantastic. Do you have a, a support system amongst both of you? But I, I want to hear now how your story intertwines with LAFC. My story in LAFC. So I had been living in Lancaster for a bit, just had moved out of home. My dad came to me and said, so LA is getting a new team. And it was, I think he said something along the lines of LA is actually getting a team as a dig to Carson. Um, but he said he, he just, that was before we ever had the team. It was just announced. So from that day on, we were watching all the things about the stadium, all the blueprints, the groundbreaking. Him and my mom were there for the first season ticket holder things when they did the stadium tour. So he actually took me to the first home game where Simon scored and I fell in love there. The first game him and I had been able to go to in several years together. We hadn't been going to Carson games at all, uh, just being so far apart and a new team kind of meant new opportunity for us. And it was incredible. From that first experience at the bank, where were you sitting and, and when did your LAFC experience transition to the North End, and and when did you discover Pride Republic? So my dad had season tickets in Field Club. So that was kind of my first experience into it. Uh, he would split going to the games with my mom and me. She would get to go to some of them and enjoy that little nose up experience, and I would get to go. And it was, I believe, Pride Night of 2019. Whenever we had the big Freddie Tifo. That was the first night I met Pride Republic. My dad was in Scotland. I got the tickets. I couldn't find anyone to go with me, so I went alone. And it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I have horrible social anxiety. So doing something like that alone was way out of my comfort zone. I met Luke. That was the first person I met. And I just kind of went, hi, I'm Taylor. This is my first time here. And that was it. I came back to another game with my mom and saw Paul there. And I think gave him a heart attack when I went, you're Paul, Pride Republic president, right? And that's when I really never looked back. I went up, uh, hung out with him and Mo in Sunset Deck. And those were really my two first introductions to Pride Republic and the North End. Uh, for those of you who can't see the podcast, uh, Taylor has just revealed that he is wearing the Brotherhood Mo shirt in his memory. So um, we hadn't really planned on talking about this, but since you brought him up, kind of curious because so many people that have come on this show, Mo touched their lives and supported them. And, you know, I, I've seen in, in your Instagram posts that, you know, Mo was a person that you had a connection with. And I was curious if it's okay if, you don't mind talking a little bit about him and and what your experiences with him were like for a moment absolutely i saw him actually walking in pride that might have been the first time i really met mo uh, it was just the big smile he had on and how happy he was to be there celebrating us it was so cool and then i think it was just in the elevator the next time i saw him going up to sunset deck and we ended up talking even more and every tailgate he was there biggest hug ever he started actually shooting me messages on Instagram just hyping me up being there for me through everything I was going through he made sure every time he saw my mom there at a game to give her the world's biggest hug and welcome her and make sure she just felt like she had everything she needed there I 
he passed right before I had top surgery and he was actually there for me getting the appointments and everything. And I will still go back and look through the messages where he's just, you got this Taylor. You're an amazing friend, Taylor. You, he just always was there no matter what I was going through, no matter happy situation, sad situation. He was just someone shooting me. Even if it was just a little heart react on Instagram to a story, he was at least they're doing something. I probably would not have been as involved with Pride Republic at first if it wasn't for him. I definitely would not have been in the North End if it wasn't for him. He got my heart full in and tied it and Pride Republic just filled me with all the love. That's beautiful. Thank you for for taking a moment to talk about uh, an important man in in all of our lives. But, uh, you know, just uh, looking to your left there, there, there's another important man in your life that uh, is now going to be joining you in matrimony. And uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Max or maybe Max, you can you can jump in here if you'd like and talk a little bit about when you two met and how this love story came to the fruition that we saw this past weekend. So to the very start of Max and I, I had pre-surgery jitters. So I was just swiping on Bumble, not actually interested in dating anyone, but something to keep me busy, someone to talk to. And surprisingly, Max was there, same exact emotions about pre-surgery jitters and doing the same exact thing, swiping and swiping and swiping, and we matched. We started talking and I mentioned something about having a pre-op appointment in Thousand Oaks. And he went, oh, I'm having surgery in Thousand Oaks too. So I kind of named our surgeon and went dot, dot, dot. And he went, yeah. (laughs) So it turns out he was having surgery five days before me. He has his surgery. I'm, and then five days post-op for him, he's in for his appointment. They have me in surgery. Him and I still haven't met yet. I happen to have gotten a picture that morning of him in the office with his mother. So I had just gotten a picture of his mother that morning. I'm like all drugged up after surgery. And so I was like, this is a great idea. I'm going to say hi to his mom if I see her there, like just casually, just like, you know, they do good work, you know, because like, nervous parents surgery is a big deal you know and so like five days post-op I walk in like pink um t-rex shirt and teal hair and like have no idea what's going on and I said something along the lines of like don't worry they do really good work here and um and yeah I, I already knew at that point that he was way too cool to like talk to me so like if I blew it at that point, I blew it at that point. <laughs> but yeah, so he actually met my mom before we met each other. And it was, I think I was going to, it was one of the game. It was the first game after Pride Night. Because mm-hmm. Pride Night was my first game back after top surgery. I had my mom there and it was kind of one of the most liberating games ever. But uh it was the game after Pride Night. It was the game after Pride Night. So we finally got to meet each other. And I was met him in West Hollywood and it was only a few hours because I had to go to an LAFC game and tailgate right after that. So we're hanging out, we're hanging out, we're watching dogs in the parks and having a grand old time and I don't want to leave. So poor Pride Republic that game, I get there and all they hear about is Max. And so took a little bit, uh, COVID was going on, he wasn't living with me yet, so it was 
I'd say a month after we had finally met that Max got to go to his first game and I've made him go to every single one that he can after that. <laughs> Max, do you mind telling us a little bit about your first experience at the bank? Where'd you sit? What was it like? What was your impression of yeah. the atmosphere of the game? Yeah, I would love to. Um, sitting, that's hysterical. I got the full North End experience, like full on with my Pride Republic boys. Like it was... I'm going to say a little overwhelming. It was insane. I'm a baseball fan and I'm an East Coast baseball fan. So I grew up going to Fenway Park and there's an energy in the air. And I don't like going to sporting games in LA normally. No offense to LA. It's just a different energy. And like, honestly, the bank is the closest I've gotten to like the same sort of like excitement and enjoyment and the same sort of fulfillment and the, the, the energy because well, we have the North End and the 3252, which kind of does it, you know, it's electric and loud and colorful and exciting. And 90% of the time you're like, oh, I see the ball finally, as you're like in the middle of chanting. And like, that was my first experience. And I never wanted to not go again. Like the LAFC is as stuck with me as I am with LAFC at this point. So, and it's amazing that LAFC is able to connect with so many people in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, I remember when we had Chris on from pride back at the very, very beginning, one of our very first episodes, and he would tell us just, it was just so welcoming and always inviting. It's like, Hey, we're at high tops and just come and, you know, have a watch party with us. And it was, it was, I mean, the pride community has always been so welcoming and that anybody who ever wants to come up and just talk with any of them, they're more than happy to know anybody that meets up and those halftime meetups over in the, uh, what would that be the North East corner of the stadium? You know, those are, I mean, those are, and that's one of those things too, where everybody knows that, Hey, if you want to go and meet this community, that's welcoming, that's where you can go and meet people. And it's, I mean, it really is. It's it's one of the most welcoming communities in the North End. It really is. I never had a community before Pride Republic. I had been out LGBT for a long time, but just never really had a group or knew anyone in it other than working because I'm a counselor with LGBT kids. So I didn't really have my own group of friends. And all of a sudden, Pride Republic is here and I'm accepted and loved and I get to love all of these incredible and different, unique humans. And it's just, it's really cool to get to see that. And I've met so many incredible people from other SGs as well. So many. From from that first visit, obviously, not only that your fandom or your support for LAFC grew together, but obviously the relationship did as well. Can you walk us through the planning behind the proposal or how that all came about? So the field was not at all the plan. I had like my group of people I was messaging. We were going to go with my mom and his family over to Pepsi Plaza. We were going to do scarves up, pictures, get some money for the futsal court, all of that stuff. And in the middle of that, I was going to propose. That way it was kind of near Mo for like bringing him up again. It was just one of those moments where I wouldn't be here with Max if I hadn't had him in my corner. And then it was a few days before the game, I get a call from Paul in the morning and he, we're talking, he goes, you know what, I'm just going to get you in contact with Jimmy. So Jimmy and I start talking and he's talking about the experience he had with Cassie and proposing on the field and how incredible that was. And it was just, I was so scared. I didn't want to do it, but I also just couldn't turn down such a cool opportunity so 
we start texting back and forth. He's telling me about the jersey that they were having made and how they would be getting in touch with me. And really, they did all the work. I I didn't have to do anything. It was, I definitely felt the love from LAFC and the front office and the tech teams and just everyone on that game because there is no way I could have imagined anything like that at all. Max, did you have any clue what was going to happen when you were brought out to the field ahead of time? So actually, Jimmy played that part off pretty well in terms of I had gotten to be part of the Performance Center tour, and they actually did do an interview with me back then because it's like my first year with Pride and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then I I also got to march with LAFC in, in the Pride Parade. And then I was at the Pride game. So I was kind of like, okay, cool. You know, he wants to do another interview following up like the end of Pride Month. Cool. So like he actually played that off very well. I happened to already know it was happening on that day because my parents were there. And there was like zero chance in Carnation anyone could get them to to an event like that in, in the supporters section for anything less than exciting. And plus I probably would have panicked. I mean, I did panic. I actually tried to stick the ring on my middle finger and I didn't say yes. Like I was just like, uh, uh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. sure, this is what you're supposed, like it, the you know. body shook up and down, so I took that as the yes. <laughs> but, like, Jimmy Jimmy actually did play it off very well, so it was... Max was more alert to uh, Pepsi Plaza than anything else. Thankfully, the field was a good plot twist. I, however, was a lot of surprised on that, too. That was way more involved than I thought it was going to be. I was I got a call Monday from someone I work with who went... So I saw you on TV and that made my heart drop for a second there. One of my favorite things about that moment was Jimmy rushing in in the background with the shirt. And Jimmy almost looks more excited than either of you looked in that moment. So I think that makes a little more sense now, knowing how involved Jimmy was in the process and uh, no better person. What a great dude and, and no better person to talk you through an experience as he's the only one to have ever been through that experience. No, seriously, my heart and love goes to Jimmy to making all of that happen. That was so cool. The front office. Yeah. So not only did you get to take part in that, in that moment, but you've already kind of alluded to it. It gets tweeted out by LEFC. It gets tweeted out by major league soccer on their official account as a whole. That is a massive amount of exposure. We're talking about accounts that have millions of followers. Were you aware that that was going to happen? And, and what was the reaction to that kind of exposure? Obviously, it's it, it showed up at your workplace. Yeah, not at all. I had no clue that was going to be happening. I got, it was, um we have a group chat for private public members and people are going, oh my gosh, MLS tweeted it. They are and they're sending the links to it. And I'm looking at it and seeing just the numbers go up and up and up. And thankfully, I kind of am just choosing to ignore the comments. I don't want to look at them. They're, that day was full of love. And I will, however, say one of our favorite comments is actually someone going, oh, my God, the Jersey guy looks way more excited as Jimmy's back there doing that. <laughs> For our listeners, just those that don't know Jimmy. 
former president of the 3252 and currently with supporter relations. Don't want to assume everyone knows Jimmy as popular as he is. But, you know, what better way to recap such a momentous day than getting that kind of support? I agree with you. Ignore the haters. You know, people aren't always going to agree and doesn't mean we all can't be happy. Exactly. No. And honestly, we are both at a good enough place where we can probably look at most of those comments and assume that they're jealous because we got one heck of an experience and we don't really care anyway. We are surrounded by so many good people in LAFC, out of LAFC, in our families and everything like that. So we're just enjoying how magical that day was. So now that that moment is over and, you know, you both have had time to kind of decompress from it. How are you guys feeling now? Is it are you still living on that high a little bit or is it more of back to the normal routine that it was leading up to this weekend? It's a little bit of both. We both had to jump right back into work and everything, but the attention is still coming our way. So we're We are still living the high and just also keeping our heads down a little bit from everything. It just, but we're now trying to start the planning of everything, which is a lot, I think, less stressful actually than proposing. Give it time. That'll that'll become a little more stressful, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, But, uh, you know, again, congratulations. Um, And to take such a beautiful moment and share it with all of us, thank you. And to share it with the world for the haters and the lovers alike is such a powerful statement and and such an immensely, immensely bold thing to do. Um, it is something that uh, we feel a lot of pride in this community just having observed it. I can only imagine what it feels like to be on your end, but thank you for letting us all share in that moment with you guys. It was really, really a beautiful thing. We're, we're running low on time here. So we, we do have one final question for the two of you. And I w- would love to get an answer from each of you on this. You may have seen this question coming. It is a question that we ask every single guest. Shoulder to shoulder is the name of the show. It's on the back of our jerseys. It's something this club has brandied about from day one. But that phrase seems to hit home differently for everyone that comes on this show. And we're very curious, Taylor, Max, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? It means the love I get to give everyone, but especially Pride Republic, it's the love I get back from them. It's getting to stand there in the stands with my fiance and chant and sing and have an amazing time and be a part of a community. Community is definitely a word I would also use. It is for me very similarly, just the feeling of I'm with a person next to me and I'm with a person on the other side of me and I'm just able to support the same people and have a good time. And I know that they have my back and I have theirs here away. We're we're all wearing the same jersey. We're all supporting the same team. And like you feel that in the stadium, tailgating, other people wearing LAFC year round, you get that sort of camaraderie. Beautiful. Well, thank you both once again so much 
uh, for sharing a very intimate and personal story with us and with our listeners. We sincerely appreciate it. Once again, folks, Taylor and Max have been our guests this week representing Pride Republic. Please give Taylor a follow. It is at taylortot914 on Instagram, and you'll get to see all of the wonderful pictures behind that story and, and keep tabs on the wedding planning, and hopefully we'll get some great wedding photos soon there as well, too. So thank you both once again for joining us. Folks, we will be right back after this quick break with today's opponent correspondent. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Folks, joining us as our opponent correspondent this week is going to be none other than the writer of Rowan himself, Farath for Ruin and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Joining us is Sam Rowan. You know him at Samuel underscore rowboat. He is the editor for SB Nation's 86 Forever. You can follow them at 86 Forever, covering the Vancouver Whitecaps. And he is the co-host of the third sub podcast, please give them a follow at third sub pod. Sam, welcome to shoulder to shoulder. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be a return guest now and uh, very excited for the matchup this weekend. Well, as you may know, the LAFC community has a few new eyes on it this week. And so for some of our new fans that might not be familiar with our previous episode in which you came on, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with the beautiful game, my friend? Sure. Yeah, I think this is my my fifth year now covering Whitecaps and MLS. And uh, yeah, just uh, really covering all things Canadian soccer beyond the Whitecaps. Um, so, you know, if you're checking out my socials, it's going to be mostly Whitecaps and Canadian soccer content. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Whitecaps have been in many ways, they're a, they're a stepchild in MLS, right? Like they're the third wheel in the Canadian rivalry. They're a third wheel in the Cascadia Cup. Um, you know, they're a little far away to be part of the Californian rivalries. It's a, it's a strange place to be in, but um, obviously for Vancouver this year, three big names, Daniil Henry, Mark DeSantos, Maxime Cropot three former white caps that that all left under kind of um, you know with some sour grapes those departures so i think a lot of white caps fans uh sort of been circling these lafc matches on the calendar saying we are looking forward to uh to seeing these guys again because uh there's some emotion behind that from the supporters for sure yeah and i'm, I'm sure some emotion for the lafc staff and players as well too um for our fans that are not familiar with 86 forever or the third sub pod uh, why don't you just go ahead plug your outlets real quick and tell fans where they can find your content sir yeah uh, just a6 forever.com uh really you know you need to know anything about the white caps previewing, recapping matches, all that, you know, squad news, all that good stuff. You can find that. And then third sub podcast, same thing, Whitecaps news, but also uh, Canadian soccer, uh, Canadian Premier League. We, we dive into a little bit of it all. And yeah, I mean, you can you find that pretty easily on any of your preferred podcast channels. Thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit about some Vancouver Whitecaps. Y'all are currently sitting six, eight and three. That's ninth place in the West. Just two points off the playoff line. However, the teams in front of you appear to have a game or two in hand. You are, however, playing uh, in the Canadian Championship come July 26, and that would be a chance to host the first Voyagers Cup since 2015. So why don't you, for our fans, kind of give us a little State of the Union for Vancouver? Yeah, so um, both we've been saying in our podcast, head coach Vanny Sartini has been saying it in media, there are two goals this year for the Whitecaps. Make the playoffs, win the Canadian Championship. They're 80, 85% of the way to winning the Canadian championship. 
um, and to get the chance to host that against TFC. Uh, as you said, first time silverware will have been in the building in, in over five years. So that's a big deal. And then, you know, operation getting to the playoffs. Well, we're only halfway through the year. Uh, but I think most Vancouver Whitecaps supporters are pretty happy about where the Caps are sitting at the moment, given that they were dead last in the West. What doesn't feel like that long ago it was a terrible start to the year. Uh, they had a lot of road matches. They had to play some tough teams. Columbus Crew, NYCFC um, took some took some big losses early. Uh, but this team's been rallying. If anything, the Canadian Championship playing midweek all the time has actually gotten the squad into a rhythm. And Vanny Sartini is one of the few managers that says he's going to use squad rotation and then really lives and dies with that philosophy. So it's actually worked out quite well for the Whitecaps. Uh, they're feeling some form. They're rolling. It was a bit of a, maybe two points dropped a little bit against New England Revs this past weekend, uh, but against a good side in New England who's ramping up after CONCACAF Champions League, I think they're happy to take away a point. And uh, you have guys like Ryan Gauld getting back up to full fitness. I feel like Van Vancouver certainly is saying internally that this is a squad that hasn't reached its full potential yet. So to be sitting just outside the playoff bar, I think is a, a relative success so far. So in speaking of former players, and when we think of the Vancouver Whitecaps through the lens of the black and gold, there is one name that comes to mind for many of our fans. And first and foremost, we want to know, how is Tristan Blackman and are you treating him well? Yeah, I, Tristan's been fantastic. The only thing was he, he suffered a knee injury and was out for four to six weeks. I think it ended up being like five and a half weeks he was out. Uh, he's Since he's come back from injury, he really fits well as a wide center back in this prototypical Italian three at the back that, uh, that the Whitecaps have been playing all season. Uh, I think, you know, we'd have the ability to obviously be a fullback and a back four as well. But uh, Sartini really likes center backs in those wide roles that are really confident with the ball at their feet. Great passers and, uh, you know, can get involved, can step up into the play. He looks so comfortable doing that and has been pretty solid defensively. Uh, the Whitecaps didn't have a great defensive record to start the year, but I, I can't really say I've seen a goal yet this season where I've gone, Oh man, Blackman got really, you know, hung out to dry on that play. He's been him and Ranko Veselinovic in, in the back line have been probably the most consistent performers for Vancouver this year. So uh, I was super excited when uh, Blackman got brought in. Unfortunately, it's just kind of one of those roster casualties, right? I'm sure LAFC would have liked to keep him around, but uh, goes to Charlotte in the expansion draft. And then, Vancouver's able to make a, a savvy move to to pick him up. So yeah, it's been a great ad for Vancouver so far. Hopefully he can stay fit and healthy. Yeah, I think given our woes at right back this season due to injuries to Escobar and Hollingshead, we probably would have liked to have had Tristan Blackman hanging around with Kim Moon Wan going back to Korea for us. So uh, treat him well. We love him dearly here. So why don't we go ahead and fast forward to what players you expect to line up versus LAFC this weekend. And if you could kind of run through for our friends who the marquee players to watch out for are going to be and who the role players are that might not be on everyone's predicted man of the match sheet, but are going to play a definite role in this game. Sure. Yeah. So um, in goal, Cody Cropper, who's a, a USL vet, he's been um, sliding in in place of Thomas Hassall, who is the Whitecaps young Canadian keeper coming back from a finger injury 
don't think he's ready to go quite yet. And Cropper actually has been quite good for the Whitecaps in that substitute role. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, three at the back, I would expect the Caps to roll with that. I don't think there's any surprise there. Tristan Blackman, Ranko Vesalinovic, young Serbian in the center, and then could be Javane Brown, could be Eric Godoy. Um, Eric Godoy, more experienced Argentine, Javane Brown, younger, uh, pacey Jamaican. Uh, Brown has a lot more to offer going forward, but Godoy is very experienced. Uh, but Godoy is managing a calf issue, so whether he's in the lineup week to week is a bit of a question mark. Um, in terms to kind of answer your, uh, your underrated players, I think two surprises for the Whitecaps this year moving up the pitch have been at the wing back spots. And we're looking at two Canadians right now, Marcus Godinho and Ryan Raposo. Raposo was a super draft pick, high super draft pick a couple of years ago, generation Adidas player. It's taken him a little bit of time to come on. I think a lot of people ragged on Raposo because he was drafted ahead of Daryl DK. And obviously that's, that's difficult to um, overcome. You end up in that shadow, but Raposo's both in the Canadian championship and MLS play found some goal and assist contribution this year. And he's thrived in the wingback spot. And then Marcus Godinho on the other side's come on recently. Uh, great value add. Um, a lot of flair dribbling with the ball at his feet. Maybe, uh, you know, physically defensively doesn't have maybe prototypical attributes, but uh, he's been really good whipping crosses into the box center of the park. Um, the Whitecaps added Andres Cubas recently, uh, Paraguayan from Ligue 2, and that was a move that was in the making early on this year. They really needed a number eight box-to-box, um, kind of with defensive attributes. Vanny Sartini doesn't like a, a real true holding mid, but um, they want someone in that double pivot to, to have those kind of holding characteristics. So I think Cubas, you can pencil in. The question is alongside him. Uh, Brazilian Kyle Alexandre coming back from an Achilles injury last year and then a hand this year just hasn't been able to stay fit. I don't know if he'll be in the lineup, but then if not, Russell Tybert, uh, the longest tenured player. I don't know if he's the longest tenured player in MLS, but it certainly feels like it. He's been with Vancouver since the very beginning. Uh, he can hold it down if Alexandre is not good to go. And then the attacking mid number 10 role, Ryan Gauld. I mean, that is the the superstar player when the Whitecaps are at their best, you know, it's, it's the Scottish Messi. He doesn't like the name, but uh, certainly has the pedigree. Uh, but he's been struggling. He had concussion issues. He's had fitness issues this year uh, after really lighting things up for Vancouver when they went in the playoff run at the end of last year, it's been a bit of a slower start for Gold, but uh, he can make those key passes. He can set up the strikers in the way that no one else in the Whitecaps can. Up front, Lucas Cavallini has been having a uh, rejuvenative season. Like a lot of people thought Cava was gone in Vancouver at the end of last year. And now he's putting in, you know, top striking performances, match in, match out. Um, and then alongside him, the question mark is, um, does Brian White, who obviously was on fire at the end of last year, couldn't stop scoring? Uh, do they go with a two striker setup or does one of the diminutive Colombians in Christian Dahomey or Debra Caicedo get the start alongside him? So I think really the big guns for Vancouver are Ryan Gold and Lucas Cavallini. Those are the names I think a lot of people in MLS know, uh, but Godinho and Raposo, 
you know, if the white caps at those, at those wingback roles, if the white caps are going to get a surprising two, one, three, one win on the road, I think you're going to need those wide players to really show up. So uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a deeper cut, those are maybe guys to watch out for. Brilliant. Thank you. So I suppose that leads us to the match this weekend. And the question really is, who has the advantage? LAFC, they're the United States team representing 4th of July versus Canada. So it's the battle of uh, trying to claim our Independence Day versus our neighbors to the north. But uh, of course, Vancouver does not have to play the midweek game. So through the eyes of Vancouver, who has the advantage going into this match? Well, Vancouver has been quite good at home this year and pretty terrible on the road. That has been a consistent theme throughout. Like, I mean, there's been so much parody in MLS, really. You look at both Eastern and Western Conference, whether it's goal differences or points from, you know, 12th in the table to fifth or sixth in the table, it's the margins are so fine. So uh, we do predictions every week, and we've been making a joke of predicting a 2-1 home victory, basically no matter what, like that, it, you end up getting it right a lot of the time because that's the way it's been going this year. So I don't know. It's the battle, right? Of does, does the fact that LAFC is likely to be rotated and Vancouver is going to have a full strength lineup. Does that overcome the home pitch advantage? I'm not confident it does, but I think the fact that LAFC is focusing on other matches and Vancouver is going to have that full squad. Maybe that just turns what would be a home victory into you know a nil nil one one draw where if it gets the 75th 80th minute most both teams might kind of go okay we're happy to just take a point here and move on so i i could see it go that way but i know lafc and certainly not the white caps of, of yesteryear but these white caps uh they either kind of are in matches or they get blown out it's it's one of the two so I could see if LAFC is able to get a goal early, able to get a jump on Vancouver uh, with that crowd, with the the environment, things could get out of hand. And obviously I think LAFC is the better team, uh, but the deeper that Vancouver can take it, can kind of unnerve or maybe make LAFC happy to just get a point, then, then that I think plays into the Whitecaps' hands a bit. So I'd probably go draw, but uh, I, I do think, you know, LAFC ultimately, even with some squad rotation, probably has the edge all right so i'm taking you to vegas i'm playing your bookie you got to put money on the game right now what's your score prediction yeah i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna go one 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 draw because uh, i just i think those the convergence of those factors leads to um I, the white caps have been they've been playing much better than eighth or whatever they are in the west right now indicates like uh, that was kind of the tale of the tape going into the New England Revolution matches. It was the the best two teams form-wise in MLS over the last eight matches. So I don't think that can be discounted. I think Vancouver will put up a good fight. But uh, but I think obviously LAFC, even with some rotation, is going to have some answers. And uh, Maxime Cropot in goal, if, if he is getting the start, which I think he would against his former team, is always good for a couple of big saves as well. All right, before we let you go, we have one final question. Just trying to get a bit of a sense for how the rest of the league has taken in the news of the past couple weeks for us here in the black and gold. It has been one of the most amazing weeks to be an LAFC fan. Carlos Vela, 
re-signs 18 months. He will be playing through all of next season. Two guys you may or may not have heard of. Uh, there's this guy called Giorgio Chiellini, who's going to be rolling over from Italy. Uh, and from uh, Team Wales, uh, you may have heard of him as well. Gareth, I believe it's Bale. Bale. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, I was just curious what the perception is of those two additions and the re-signing of Carlos outside of Los Angeles. How is that being perceived north of the wall? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I, the first thing I'll add to that is when I saw it, I was like, Gareth Bale on a TAM deal? That's, that's not something I ever thought I'd be saying out loud. Uh, and it, it also kind of points out that I think we're maybe at the point where uh, some of these financial rules in MLS, like we're beyond the, that kind of structure at this point. That's the matter for another day. Uh, I think what's, what's amazing is that, I mean, you look at like an LA Galaxy in the past or, you know, Orlando City or some of these other teams, like a bail signing before usually would have been at 34 or 35. And it would have been, oh, we're just going to throw all the money at him and hope that somehow magically that fixes the team. But no, this is a complete opposite. This is a really, really good, um, if not borderline dominant MLS team already, um, you know, with like value players, you know, you just able to guy found, find a guy like fall at center back out of the middle of nowhere. But then you're also able to add a Cellini, a, a Gareth Bale, right? So I think that around the league is what's impressive about LAFC is they're not just throwing it at splashy free agents. They're also making good in intra MLS trades, getting a Maxime Crepeau to fill a need. Uh, there's just, you know, someone like, uh, like the young Canadian, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Raheem Edwards, who is able to have really, really good performances. Like LAFC just seems to find a way to add players and create value in every way possible. So I, I, to me, that's almost what's more impressive than the names they've added is the way they're just so diverse in how they build their squad. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you letting me throw that question at you last minute, folks. Uh, once again, we would like to thank Sam as our opponent correspondent for joining us this week to preview the Vancouver Whitecaps. Please give Mr. Rowan a follow at Samuel underscore rowboat and to follow all of his coverage of the Vancouver Whitecaps and the game across Canada. You can check out their coverage at 86 forever for the SB Nation coverage of the Vancouver Whitecaps. And please give a listen to the third sub podcast. You can find them at third sub pod on social medias and third sub podcast on all your podcasting platforms. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, we really appreciate you coming on folks. We will be right back with our final segment of today's show after this quick break. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. All right, gentlemen, it is time to put our predictions where our mouths are. Boys, how do you think LAFC is going to line up against the Vancouver Whitecaps? I think... In terms of lining up, four three three, um, and um, I think Vela. I think I want him to have limited minutes for sure in this match with three games in ten days, and I think the scoreline is going to be two one. You know, you also got to think too, right? I mean, when you look at the table, Vancouver's you know sitting in ninth. They've got six wins, three draws, and eight losses. 
And what's the next match after Vancouver? The Derby. We need to make sure that our players are ready to go for this Derby. So I'm expecting a heavily rotated lineup for this for this match against Vancouver. You might get a trickle in of some starters, but I expect to see every single key player getting less minutes than they normally would be in this match against Vancouver because it has to be priority number one to be ready for this match on the 8th. I completely agree with you, Chris, 100%. I think the exact same game plan that we've seen Dolo employ in games versus mid to bottom table teams right before a big game is that you will see a heavily rotated starting lineup and then the stars will come in around halftime to the 70th minute and they'll get a quick run out to get them ready for the next game. And I think we've seen Dolo do this a couple times now and we can start to see some patterns forming that we're going to see a rotated starting 11 and we're going to see our stars come in off the bench in order to keep them fresh. And so, I mean, that's that's starting to paint itself out as an obvious picture. Now, whether or not the FO and the tactical team wants to, you know, maintain that obvious play or whether they want to mix it up, we'll see. But I, again, I don't care about results versus the Whitecaps. I am emotionally and morally invested in this match versus Carson. This is going to be such a huge game for LAFC. Tiellini's first game. Bale's first game in which they could potentially go out there and get minutes for LAFC. It is the first time in which they will be active players. All the eyes of the world are going to be on Bank of California Stadium for the debut of these two phenomenal international superstars. And if LAFC go out there and have the kind of performance versus Carson like we've seen in the last couple matches for them, that is a terrible, terrible result for LAFC. Not just in morale and standings, but in the global exposure of this brand as a whole. This is one of the most important regular season games that really has no effect on the standings that LAFC have ever played. And it is essential that the best possible 11 is ready to go in that game versus Carson. And I don't care, do not care at all if we go out there and play a heavily rotated squad versus the Whitecaps. Gentlemen, any, any final thoughts as we lead up to this game before we call this episode a close? Ready. I'm ready for the eighth. It's going to be amazing. I, like, I'm, I, you're not supposed to look past opponents. I don't care about Vancouver, bro. I'm looking past it. Looking forward to the eighth. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, my buddy Casey, who's a Galaxy fan, it's his birthday that day. So it's like, it, I mean, I, what better birthday present to give this man than a big old fat L? I'm tired of giving him 50 bucks every time we lose. I'm going to tell you that much. <laughs> I might double down and put 100 on this game just to try and win my money back this year. You'll have to. You'll have to. The gift he gets is to see Gareth Bale in a black and gold jersey along with Chiellini. And the oh gift my. we got this week. Christian, was you coming back on the show? We are so happy that the family is healthy and that you guys have pulled through this COVID scare. Um, I, I can't imagine what it was like to go through that with the young child. And uh, I'm so happy to hear that everyone is healthy and well and uh, looking forward to having you back from here on out. And I'll stop making jokes about it. But seriously, um, you were in our hearts the whole time you were out. And it's been a pleasure to have you back, my friend. Happy to be back. Um, it was just exhausting. Um, no place I'd rather be than with you two talking footy. 
Well, with that, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Please give us a follow at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach out to Jonathan, Chris, or Christian at LAFC S2S.com or slide into them DMs on any of our social media platforms. We would like to thank Taylor and Max from Pride Republic for coming and sharing their touching and moving story with all of us. We would also like to thank our opponent correspondent, Sam Rowan, from SB Nation's 86 Forever and the Third Sub for getting us all ready for this game versus the Vancouver Whitecaps. Folks, thank you so much for listening to episode 125 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Take us home, Sticks.